following message is from the audio ministry of Coastal Community Church. We trust you'll find it helpful and encouraging. Now, here's Pastor Chris Rollins. Good morning again. Welcome. Glad that you're here today. Hey, a couple of quick things I want to make note of this morning before we begin. Uh, one um, is about Ryan Spell, our youth pastor. He's looking up at me, what's going on? Um, so like a couple of years ago, uh, Ryan came to me and uh, told me that he felt called to go into student ministry. And uh, I told him, well, well, you know, that's great. Uh, that's really good. But um, you have no experience and you don't have a, you know, uh, uh, you know a degree. You don't have a, lot, a, a good solid you know, educational background in ministry or in the Bible. Although he was a Clemson graduate, which again, obviously speaks a lot. I mean, but, and he has an animal science degree, which is pretty similar to student ministry anyway. Um, But, um, you know, I just kind of laid down the gauntlet and challenged him. And he took that challenge to heart and uh, enrolled uh, in a Master's of Divinity program. And as of Friday, he completed all of his classwork for his Master's of Divinity. So, um... Anyway, we're, we're very proud of him, and he's done a great job. He's done a great job in our student ministry. And if you are uh, interested in helping out with our students as they go to the winter retreat, uh, make sure you see Ryan or any of our students. Uh, y'all, got, y'all got tickets down here, front row tickets? You have no tickets. Like, you sold them all. Okay, yeah, whatever. Okay, so... Now, anyway, see students, see Ryan, and then if you'd like to donate something to um, uh, the silent auction, make sure you talk to Ryan about that. Hey, everybody, do me a favor. Turn around. Look at the one sign. All 52 lights have been lit. Woo! So that's awesome, isn't it? And uh, we, we started this new year uh, saying, hey, our goal was it to be normal at Coastal, that at the end of the year, at least one person on average uh, gives their life to Jesus, because we lift Jesus up here uh, through the word, through worship, and uh, through the gospel. And uh, we do that. God draws people to himself. And uh, at least 52 people, actually 53, uh, have, have indicated on their Connect card that they've given their lives uh, to Jesus. And so uh, when we started this little one campaign, we said, well, when it's over, uh, we're going to party. And so we are. On Sunday, November the 19th, we're having one uh, combined worship service, one big service, this service at 930. And, uh, and, and we're gonna, it's going to be a party. Uh, one party, one service, and uh, just... We're in the process now of, of planning some special things for it. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, going to be a party coastal style. And then we are going to feed you. Uh, afterwards, uh, you know, in Luke 15, it says they killed the fatted calf, which in the South, that means barbecue. So we will have, uh, we'll have plenty of food for you. Uh, fried chicken, barbecue, mac and cheese. Uh, it's going to be awesome. So uh, don't miss that. Uh, November the 19th, one service, one party. And uh, just invite and bring somebody with you, because it's going to be awesome. You're not going to want to miss that. Uh, We are in week four of this series about the life of David called After God's Heart. You know, one of the biggest tests of our heart is how do you respond when you've been hurt? Uh, How do you respond when you've been wronged? Ultimately, you know, you you got some options. Uh, One is to forgive them, to release them or to build up resentment and even take revenge. Uh, It's something that everybody faces, everybody in this room. I don't care how old you are, how long you've been a believer. uh, We all face it because people hurt each other. We do. Uh, Intentionally or unintentionally, we hurt each other. And how you handle that pain, how you handle that hurt, will to a large degree 
determine your happiness in life. Because if you don't respond to it correctly, it does, it builds up, it turns into resentment, and eventually a desire to get even, to take revenge. And I think that's something, uh, that, uh, that desire is something that we all can identify with. In fact, it's even big business. Um, pay a visit to Amazon.com and you'll find no shortage of books that deal with the subject of revenge. Here's just a, a sampling of what you can find. Listen to this. Uh, the Art of get, Getting Even, the Do-It-Yourself Justice Manual, uh, Sweet Revenge, The Wicked Delights of Getting Even. And then ladies, listen to this one. The Woman's Book of Revenge, Getting Even When Mr. Right Turns Out to Be All Wrong. Okay, don't write that down, okay? I know some of you are like Googling it. Oh, I'm going to get that one right now. Here we go. Um, the, the Black Book of Revenge, the complete manual of hardcore dirty tricks and schemes. And then this is the last one. Um, the Revenge Encyclopedia, nearly 1,000 schemes and tricks to get back at people who have wronged you. Now, I don't think that's the path. Uh, that we need to go down. In fact, I, I know it's not. Um, and if we're going to develop a heart for God, because that's what this series is all about, uh, we've got to learn how to respond when we've been hurt, when we want to get even. Now, if there was anybody who had been wronged and who would have the desire and the opportunity, you'll see, in just a few minutes, uh, to take revenge, it was definitely David. Let me uh, set the context again for today's uh, scripture. Uh, at this point, as you've been in this series now with me for a few weeks. You know Saul is the Israel's first king. And, and he really did start out fine, but very quickly he turned into a man who did evil in God's sight. And as a result, God rejected him. And in his place, the prophet Samuel anoints David to become the next king of Israel. Now, David's kingship is confirmed by several things. Confirmed by the killing of, of Goliath, uh, he becomes a national hero, uh, but, but Saul couldn't handle it. He becomes insanely jealous, and he goes after David, literally. In fact, the Bible talks about how he hurled a spear at him, uh, not once, but multiple times. For, fortunately for us, he wasn't a good aim, and he missed, uh, but basically what ensues is that he, he runs David out, out of the palace, and he chases David uh, around the countryside for approximately 10 years. And during that time, David lived in the desert, he lived in forests, and he finds refuge in a cave as a fugitive. And uh, we talked about that last week, when, you're, when you end up in a cave and you hit rock bottom. Well, at the end of chapter 23... Saul is about ready to kill David one more time. But God sends a messenger to Saul to tell him that back home the Philistines are attacking. And so Saul retreats and he goes back to take care of the Philistines at home. Now he's done with that. And then we turn to chapter 24, verses 1 and 2. Follow along as I read. Uh, it's on your outline and on the screen. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told... David is in the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. So 
Saul takes 3,000 of his finest, best fighting men, and he goes up against David, who at this time uh, is in charge of about 600 uh, renegade men. So David's outnumbered five to one, and Saul is determined finally to get rid of David once and for all. Now, what we read next is definitely one of the funniest scenes in the entire Bible. Uh, and maybe some of you are not familiar with this scene, um, but here we go. 1 Samuel 24, verse 3. Listen to this. At the place where the road passes some sheepfolds, Saul went into a cave to what? Relieve himself. Okay, translation. And they kind of um, sweeten this up a little bit in English, okay? But basically, there were no, no porta-potties around, and so Saul goes into one of these many caves to answer nature's call. Now, the rest of verse 3 says this, but as it happened, David and his men were hiding in that very cave. So get the, I mean, you got to get the picture. Saul goes into the cave to take a dump, okay? That's what the, that's what the Bible says, okay? Don't, if you're offended, you're offended with the Bible, okay? Um, and so David and all of his men, they're hiding in the back of the recesses of, of this very same cave. Now imagine what they must have felt like. Oh my goodness, I mean their eyes must have popped out of their sockets when Saul enters the cave. The very man who had been chasing after them. The man who was going to kill him. He's right there. And, and not only that, he is in the most vulnerable position that a human being can be in. And so they say to David, David, man, now is the time. I mean, kill him. Take your revenge. Go after him. So David creeps up with a sword in his hand, ready to put Saul to death. And, and, and just when he's ready to draw the sword, just when he's ready to put Saul's life to an end, he can't do it. Instead, all he can do is cut off the corner of Saul's robe. And as soon as he does that, he's completely guilt-ridden because in those days, when you touch somebody's clothes, when you touch somebody's garment... You've touched them. Look at verse 5. But then David's conscience began bothering him because he had cut Saul's robe. David basically goes back to his men. He's overcome with guilt. Kind of an, an emotional um, debate ensues. And uh, they basically say, David, what are you doing? I mean, this is the guy who is, who is after us. This is the guy who's been trying to kill us. You know, this is the guy who's driven us from our homes. He's separated us from our families. And he's right there in front of you. He's vulnerable. I mean, we've been living in caves. We've been living in deserts. I mean, you can end all of this right now. We can go home. What are you doing? Go kill him and take your revenge. David doesn't do it. Verse 6. The Lord knows I shouldn't have done it, he said to his men. It is a serious thing to attack the Lord's anointed one. For the Lord himself has chosen him. Verse 7. With these words, David rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. Now basically what happens is David let Saul get you know, a safe distance away from the cave, and then he follows outside, 
and he calls out to Saul. And he basically shows him the garment you know, that he cut off. And he, and he says, hey, listen, Saul, look, I could have killed you. But I did not. I mean, this proves that I'm not out to get you, that you're listening to the wrong people, and, and, I, and I, I don't want to kill you. I could have done it. Saul gets emotional. He starts crying. In verse 17, he says, you're a better man than I am, for you have repaid me good for evil. Yes, you have been wonderfully kind to me today. For when the Lord put me in a place where you could have killed me, you didn't do it. May the Lord reward you well for the kindness you have shown me today. And now I realize that you are surely going to be king. And Israel will flourish under your rule. And David and Saul walk off arm in arm, best friends forever, back to Jerusalem. No. That's not what happens. Look at verse 22. Then Saul returned home, but David and his men went back to the stronghold. Saul goes back home to Jerusalem. David and his men go back into hiding. And you kind of you read it, and at first you're like, okay, well, that's weird. Why did that happen? You know, Saul's kind of repented here. You know, why doesn't David just go back home and get on with his life? Well, fast forward to chapter 26. Saul's at it again. Saul gathers his forces, and he basically says, you know what? I should have killed David when I had the chance. And he goes back into the wilderness of Engedi. But this time, David has learned... And uh, he's got some men on the lookout. And they basically tell David exactly where Saul is camped out. So one night, David and his right-hand man, Abishai, they sneak into Saul's camp. And they stand right over Saul while he's in a deep, deep sleep. Now imagine the temptation. The Bible says that Saul's spear is right there in the sand next to his head. I mean, it was, it's probably the same spear that had been hurled at David, you know, multiple times trying to kill him. And so his right-hand man, Abishai, is right there, and he urges David, David, this is too good to be true. You know, it, it's poetic justice. Pick up that same spear that Saul tried to kill you with and just drive him into the ground. I mean, he would do it to you. It's karma. Do it. And David says, no. I'm not going to do it. Abishai says, listen, if you won't do it, I'm going to do it. And David restrains him and says, no, we can't become like him. We've got to be better than that. And then he comes up with this idea. Chapter 26, verse 12. So David took the spear and the water jug near Saul's head and they left. And again, he kind of does something similar. It basically, he gets a safe distance away, and he wakes up everybody, and he says, Hey, Saul, everybody, wake up, wake up. Look what I've got. You know, Saul, look what I could have driven through your heart. I could have killed you again, but I did not do it. And again, Saul has this moment of clarity, maybe a moment of repentance, and he says this, I have sinned. Come back home, my son, and I will no longer try to harm you. For you have valued my life today. I've been a fool and very, very wrong. And David basically says, okay, you know what, Saul? I forgive you. You know, I release you. 
But how about let's just go our separate ways? Now, two different chapters, two different events, but I think the same heart lessons for all of us. What can we learn today? Number one, if you're taking notes, injustices are inevitable. Injustice is inevitable. Listen to me for a second. We live in a fallen, broken, sinful world. We are. It's not pretty. Many times it's very, very ugly. You know, if you're not familiar with the whole backstory, go back to Adam and Eve in the garden in Genesis chapter 3. Basically, many, many years ago, it's like a sin bomb exploded. And you and I and the rest of the world have been dealing with the collateral damage of what happened ever since. And because that happened back there, it means that today, life is not fair. And if somebody ever told you it is, they lied to you. It means that bad things do happen to good people. It means that even the Lord's anointed can wind up on the run living in a cave. It means the wicked do prosper. It means the righteous do suffer. Sometimes the good die young and the evil live to a ripe old age. In fact, Jesus said this to his followers. He said this to you and me as well. Listen to this, John 16, 33. I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. But here on this earth, you will have what? What does Jesus say? You will have many trials and what? Sorrows. You will. But take heart, Jesus says, because I have overcome the world. Listen, the world is not fair. Sin and evil are real. And because of that, injustice is inevitable. Number two, our desire to see justice is understandable. It's understandable. Now listen to me. That desire that we have to get even, that desire that we have to exact revenge, it is understandable on on several levels. On one, on just a very human, physical standpoint, it is understandable. What I mean by that is, it hurt. Okay? It was painful. Whatever you experienced, the pain, the hurt that somebody put on you, listen, it's real. It hurt. Nobody is denying that. In fact, even in this story, Saul knew that. You know, when Saul realized that David had the opportunity to kill him and passed on that opportunity, he's blown away by it. Saul says, who does that? 1 Samuel 24, 19, when a man finds his enemy, does he let him get away unharmed? The implied answer is, of course not. Because we understand that that desire. Now, let me take it a step further, because I think also on a spiritual level, sometimes, not only is that desire understandable, but I also believe it's God-given. Let me explain. You and I were created in the image of God, Okay? God hates injustice. It breaks his heart. Micah 6.8, he has showed you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act what? Justly. And to love mercy. And to walk humbly with your God. In fact, when you have a moment today, maybe go back and read Proverbs chapter 6. There's a list there of six things that God hates. Now, 
near the top of the list are hands that shed innocent blood. What's he talking about? Injustice. God hates it. I, I heard about a story about a guy who always wanted a Jaguar and uh, was nev- never able to afford it. And uh, one day he's looking through the uh, ads on Craigslist and he sees an ad that says, almost brand new Jaguar, $250. And he's thinking to himself, okay, yeah, right, I mean, it's got to be a joke, right? This has got to be, uh, you know, a mistake. And, uh, but, you know, just to make sure, he goes ahead and he calls the number and uh, the lady who answers the phone says, no, 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 it's true. It's an almost brand new Jaguar. I just want to get rid of it. 250 bucks. And she tells them that other people had called about the ad, and most people don't believe her, but she told them all the same thing. The first person that gets to her house with the money gets the car. Well, you know, just to make sure, you know, I mean, come on, he's got to see if this is right or not. So he jumps in the car, drives as fast as he can, he gets to her house, and sure enough, in, in the driveway, there's an almost brand new Jaguar. He knocks on the door, woman comes to the door, uh, it's, it's real. He hands her $250. She gives him the keys and the title. And uh, this whole time, I mean, he, he's just thinking, man, this is unbelievable. This cannot be real. But keys turn the car. He gets off. You know, he starts it. He drives off. And he starts thinking, man, I am driving like an $80,000 automobile, and I just got it for $250. I mean, he is all pumped up for about three blocks. Because he starts feeling guilty. He feels like he, he took advantage of this woman. He thinks, man, this is not right. You know, maybe, maybe she just has no idea how much the car is worth. So he turns around and, you know, he goes back to her house and he walks up, knocks on the door. Woman, he's like, what's wrong? He, she, he says, listen, I, I, I just can't do it. You, you can't do what? I just can't. Man, this car is worth like $80,000. And I mean, it's almost brand new and you sold it to me for... $250? She's like, no, no, no. I want you to have it. He says, why? Why in the world would you do that? He said, she says, listen, my husband just ran off as a secretary to Hawaii, and he sent me an email and said, sell my Jag and send half the money to me, and that's all, and that's exactly what I intend to do. <laughs> so, so like on, you know, on a physical human standpoint, you know, sometimes I think we understand it. Okay, so injustice is inevitable, and our desire to see justice at times is at least understandable, but number three, here's the key, what we do with that desire is crucial. What we do with that desire is crucial. Okay, this is where the the rubber meets the road. You know, this, this is the heart of the matter when you've been wronged, when you've been hurt. What are you going to do with that desire? You know, what are you going to do with those emotions? And by the way, listen to me. Satan, you know, not only is Satan going to be right there when it happens, just whispering in your ear, listen, strike back. Get even. Take them down. You have the opportunity. Do it. They deserve it. Not only will he be there, but... There's going to be people all around you, just like David, 
Just like in those two stories, cheering you on, telling you, you know what, they wronged you. They deserve it. They'll even leave little positive comments on your Facebook post that you, that you put there just to cut them down a notch or two. Just encouraging you that you did the right thing. They deserve it. They deserve more than that. When David had an opportunity to kill Saul there in that cave the first time, his men his men urged him to do it. In fact, they even misquoted scripture. 1 Samuel 24, 3. This is the day the Lord spoke of. I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with them as you wish. They basically said, David, of all the caves in all the mountains that Saul could have wandered into, he chose to come into this one. Do you think that's a coincidence, David? Of course not. It's a God thing. You know, God orchestrated this whole thing so that right now, in front of this cave, this was the time that Saul had to go. So now it's obvious that God knows now's the time he has to go. You know, take him out now. Do it quickly while the king is still on his throne. But David, David knew something that we need to learn. Here it is, guys. Number four. What seems like God's great provision may be our greatest test. What seems like God's great provision just might be your greatest test. You know, in in the cave, with Saul completely vulnerable, again, David's men, even Abishai in chapter 26, you know, know, he's in your hands. God's given given you to him. You know, go, go get him. God's provision. Again, Abishai standing right there on top of the sleeping Saul says, give me the spear. I'll do it. I only have to do it one time. This is the day the Lord put him in our hands. God's provision. In fact, at the end of verse 12, it says that God put them into a deep sleep. I mean, if that's not God's provision, what is? Except that David knew the truth of God's word. And he knew that In what seemed like this great provision, there was an overriding truth of God that you don't kill God's anointed, that you do not take revenge. David knew this wasn't a provision. It was a test. It was a test of whether or not David would follow his emotions, whether or not he would follow his feelings, whether or not he would listen to the crowd, Or would he stand firm and obey God? Would he stand on the truth of God's word? You know, listen to me. Sometimes what seems like God's greatest provision might be his greatest test for you. You know, I speak to people all the time who are going through uh, a difficult time in their marriage. And the guy might say, well, you know, God's provided me with this wonderful woman. Not my wife, but a wonderful woman. She understands me. She encourages me. Man, it's got to be that God brought her to me because she's perfect. She's everything that I ever dreamed of. Or I met this man. Not my husband, but another wonderful man. He listens to me. He romances me. It must be that that God brought him into my life. After all, they both say this, after all, God wants me to be happy, doesn't he? And then just like David, listen to me, 
you're going to have plenty of people not, not only telling you that it's okay, but encouraging you to do it. Listen, that is not a provision. It is a test. Are you going to be faithful? Are you going to follow his word? What seems like God's greatest provision might just be his greatest test. Another lesson we need to learn is that forgiveness and release, it is a process. It's a process. I mean, depending on the situation, you know, from time to time, you might be able to forgive and let go of, you know, the little hurts quickly. But it's those bigger things that take time. I mean, you might have to go back to God over and over and over again. Just ask him, God, change my heart. God, help me to forgive. I heard about a divorced woman whose husband had left her for a younger uh, woman. And uh, she said that her journey toward forgiveness was a two-step process. She said the first step was when she began to pray, God, give my ex what he deserved. What he deserves. And then the second step toward healing, she said, was when she was able to pray, God, You decide what he deserves. And she said that's where she found peace, that it's a a process, and it is. Listen, it's a lifelong journey. And by the way, you know, don't think that David always got it right. You know, don't think that David didn't struggle with this. Because what's interesting is that right in between these two stories, you know, the two stories we looked at this morning of, of David, you know, sparing Saul's life, there's this little interesting story that's easy to overlook about a man who gets underneath David's skin. Now again, David has just spared Saul's life in chapter 24. He's on his way to doing it again in chapter 26. But in chapter 25, David and his men, uh, they're making sure that there's no animals or predators that attack the sheep and uh, the, the flocks of sheep that are wandering around in the wilderness of En Gedi. And uh, these particular sheep uh, were uh, owned by a man by the name of Nabal, and a very rich local merchant. And it was customary in those days for the people who served as the protectors of the flocks of sheep to be given a little tip from time to time from the guy who owned the flock. Okay, it was just the custom of that day. And uh, it always happened when the sheep went for shearing. Okay, so sheep shearing time comes around and uh, David sends a little note to Nabal and says, hey, it'd be great if you just give my guys uh, a loaf of bread. Seriously, just a loaf of bread, nothing big. You know, he's not asking for much, just a little bit of food. And, um, and that would have been a very, very small thing for this guy Nabal to do. But instead of granting the request, Nabal uh, sends back a message to David, and really an insulting message, and says, Who's David? Who do you think you are? You know, you're just a nobody. You're a zero. You're a fugitive on the run. I'm not going to waste my food on you or or your men. And so when David hears this, you know, this great patient man who has been so forgiving of King Saul, you know, his repeated attacks on his life, he basically says to his men, he goes, get up. Let's get 400 of my men together and we're going to go over to Nabal's house and we're going to tear him into 400 pieces. Okay, kind of a, an extreme reaction to a loaf of bread. 
And it's only because Nabal's wife, Abigail, comes rushing along to David and says, whoa, 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 David, you're the anointed one. You're the future king. You know, this isn't worthy of you. And she gives him a really, a really a long uh, speech that David comes to his senses. And he says, you know what, you're right. You know, what, what was I thinking? And uh, he spares his life. Now, why? Why do you think that little story is sandwiched there in between the two times that David spares Saul's life? I think it's there as a reminder that learning to forgive, learning to release, it's not a one and done thing. It is a struggle. It's a lifelong struggle. It's a lifelong process. And then finally, number six, here's the good news. What we need to remember is that because of Jesus, because of the power of Christ, release, forgiveness is possible. It is. Because of Jesus, we have the capacity, we do have the ability to let it go, to forgive people. Ephesians 4.32 says so much. It says, be kind and compassionate to one another. Here it is. Forgiving each other. Just as in Christ, God forgave you. You see, the forgiveness that you and I have received from God through Jesus Christ makes it possible for us to forgive other people. And listen, that, that process of forgiveness, that process of release, did, you know, did, was it painful? Did it hurt? Yes, nobody's denying that. You know, was it ugly? Is it difficult? Yes. But listen to me, you're not forgiving them for them. In fact, many times, you know, they hurt you, they put pain on your life, they've gone on with their life and, and they've forgotten about you and forgotten about it. Honestly, forgiveness and release, it's more about you than it is about them. Because if you don't let it go, if you don't forgive, it is going to eat you up from the inside out. It is going to be a weed that destroys your heart. Once you've experienced the forgiveness of Christ, then we really do have the power and the capacity to do what Paul calls us to do here in Romans chapter 12. And I want to close with this passage. This is like, this is the classic passage in Scripture about revenge about getting even. Listen to this. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. It doesn't get much plainer than that. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Do things in such a way that everyone can see that you, you, not them, you, are honorable. Do your part. Again, don't you see? The focus here is on you, not them. Do your part to live in peace with everyone as much as possible. You know what the implication there is, folks? Many times it's not possible. They don't let it go. They won't live in peace with you. But that's okay, he says. You do your part. Dear friends, never avenge yourself. Don't lash out. 
Don't speak back. Never avenge yourselves. He says, leave that to God, for it's written, I'll take vengeance. I'm going to repay those who deserve it, says the Lord. Instead, listen to this, do what the Bible says. If your enemies are hungry, what are you to do? Feed them. Wow, you talk about raising it to a whole other level. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink, and then they'll be ashamed of what they have done to you. And then he ends with this. This is the key. Don't let evil get the best of you. Don't. Don't let evil get the best of you. But you can conquer it. You can overcome evil by what? By doing good. Guys, it's love. Don't let evil eat you up from the inside out. Don't let it get a hold of your heart and destroy your heart. Conquer it by doing good. I just want to close today by asking you this question. But I want you to ask yourself this question. Who do I need to forgive today? What do I need to release? What do I need to let go of? Don't let evil get the best of you. Conquer it by doing good. Listen, you will never be able to give to someone else what you yourself have not yet received. And I'm talking about that forgiveness from God in Christ. And if you've not yet received that, you can receive it today. You, think about this, you can walk out of here today forgiven, completely forgiven of your sin, your sinfulness. Listen, God is never going to call you, call upon you to forgive somebody else any more than he has already forgiven you, than he wants to forgive you. And he can do it today. You just need to ask for it. You need to humble yourself and admit that you need it. That is what has been separating you from God, and that's what's missing in your life. It's a relationship with God through faith in Christ. It's not power. It's not prestige. It's not money. It's not sex. It's not relationships. It's a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. It's not religion. But it starts with that first step of faith of you stepping toward God and saying, God, I admit it. I'm a mess. I need forgiveness. I'm a sinner. And don't get hung up on that word. It just means you've you've fallen short because the standard of judgment, it's not me, it's not your neighbor, it's not the person you're here with today. It's God, the holiness of God. And if that's the truth, everybody in this room is a sinner in need of a Savior. The good news is one has been provided and his name is Jesus. And he's waiting for you to come home today. He's ready for you to have a relationship with him. And you can have that today. I'd love to step you through a prayer where you invite Christ into your life and you become a child of God today, forgiven, brand new. Bow your heads and pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, God, today I do thank you for, I thank you for the story of David and his life. And, um, you know, if there ever was somebody who had the desire and the opportunity to get even, to take revenge, it was him. But God, the truth is, It's all of us. It's around us every day. People hurt us. People wrong us. And the opportunity to respond with hatred and evil and revenge, it's right there in front of us. And we belittle it. We act like it's no big deal. But God, it's the furthest thing we can do that's from your heart. 
So Father, we, we today, we come to you. We ask for your forgiveness. And today, God, we, we want to get on the pathway toward forgiveness and release, knowing that it's a process, but knowing that we have the ability, we have that miracle power to do that, not because we're good, but because you are. And because we've received that forgiveness ourselves from you through Christ. And listen, if you're here today and you're ready to come home, you're ready to take that step of faith, just pour out your heart to God right now in a prayer. Just say, dear Heavenly Father, God, today I want to come home. God, I need your forgiveness. I have blown it. I have pushed you out of my life. I've walked away from you. I, I, I know it. And today, God, I believe, I do, I do believe. I believe that Jesus really is your son. I believe that he went to a cross to to pay for my sins. That death and, and this world and sin could not contain him. He rose from the dead and he is alive. God, as much as I understand, as much as I know how, I do believe that. It is small, but it's a a small step of faith. I believe it. And God, for the rest of my days, I want to follow Jesus. I ask him to be my savior today, to be the forgiver of my sins, and to be my Lord. And I submit to his authority in my life, and I want to follow him. I just want to live for you, God, in gratitude and thanksgiving for who you are and what you've done for me. And listen, if you're here today and you prayed that prayer, God has welcomed you into his family. You are forgiven. It's not a matter of you cleaning up your life and trying to get things straight out first before you come to him. No, he accepts you right here, right now as you are. And now today when he sees you, he doesn't see that sin in your life. He sees the blood of Christ. He sees the righteousness of Jesus. And he looks at you and he says, you are perfect. You are mine forever. You're my child. And Father, help all of us again not to repay evil for evil, but to conquer it, to defeat it through love. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Pastor Chris Rollins of Coastal Community Church. For more information about Coastal or to explore what your next step of faith might look like, Check us out online at coastalcommunitychurch.org. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, thanks for listening.